So yeah, we're going to jump into Mark chapter 4. And one of my favorite things about this church, um, the series we're in, is um, the greatest story never told. The Bible has a lot of great stories, a lot of great stories we like to preach on and teach on. But then there's some stories we kind of gloss over. And in Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at one of those exact stories. It's actually a story that's very popular. And then we're going to kind of tell the rest of the story, the, the part that I feel like gets left out a lot. Anybody old enough to remember the rest of the story with Paul Harvey? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. Some of you are like, are you old enough? Yes. Um, in the womb, my listen to, no, uh, NPR fan, yeah. And so we're going to tell the rest of the story at the end of Mark chapter 4 and the beginning of Mark chapter 5. But one of my favorite things about MLC is it's the type of church that if you don't do church, you're welcome here. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you could grow up in church, and you can know all the right moves, and you know the playbook. Like, anybody ever walked into a church and you felt like you didn't get the playbook? Like, I remember the first time I went to a Catholic mass with a friend of mine. Um, I went for midnight mass. And I was like uh, 15 or 16 years old, and I just wanted to see what it was like. Anybody grow up Catholic or you know? Yeah. And I remember I went in, and it was like I didn't get the playbook. Like, everybody knew the moves, and they knew when to kneel. And, like, and I was like, ah, like, I don't know what to do. Um, and, and if you're not used to church, it can be like that in any church. Like, do I raise my hands now? Do I put my hands down? Do I sing? Do I clap? What do I do? Um, and if that's you, like if you've grown up not doing the churchy thing, or maybe you're not sure about the whole God thing, or maybe you're against the whole God thing, we are really glad you're here. Like, you're one of the main reasons we do this whole thing, is because we want to introduce you to the God that knows us, and the God that we know, and the God that loves us, and we know loves you. And so I would say if that's you, I would just, you know, encourage you to maybe like pray a prayer for the first time in your life, um, a prayer like this, like, hey, God, if you're real, prove it. And the cool thing about God is he will. He'll speak to you. He'll prove it. And I, and I, I, and I preface this story with, with that context because if you are coming from that context, the non I know in a crowd this size, there's probably one person here, like you thought the girl was cute, so you said yes to coming to church, or you were tired of your husband bothering you, and so you finally came, or whatever it is. But you're not sure about this whole Bible thing. And what I've found in like, at least in my generation, like millennials and younger, like the generation before us, especially in the Bible Belt in the South, um, we were brought up and it was enough to, to kind of hold the Bible up to people and be like, it's true because it is written, right? We'd be like, it's written, so it's true. And like in previous generations, they'd be like, all right, you know, in the Bible, I guess. But my generation, it's not enough to say it is written. They'll be like, Written where? <laughs> you know, the Bible, what's that? You know, so what? That's a book. You know, how do I know it's true? And so I think we kind of have to shift the paradigm a little bit as we're talking to future generations from just it was written to it actually happened. Like, it, it happened. If the Bible, if that word Bible intimidates you, just think of this as a conglomeration of like a compilement of a bunch of historical accounts, like people see stuff and they write it down, a bunch of poems and songs and personal letters like that's what it was and a few thousand years ago some guys got together and they were like hey this helps us understand God and this helps us understand God and this helps us know what Jesus did and so they just put it all together and bound it together it's like this say um like last night there was a secret concert you know and they were like hey there's a show and it's going to be down at the Fox Theater and three of your friends got tickets to this secret show and they get down to the Fox Theater and then all of a sudden the curtain opens and it's like Beyonce and like oh or I don't, is Beyonce popular here? It's Thomas Rhett. I don't know. George Garth Brooks. I don't know. Like whatever, whatever's popular. Um, <laughs> George Strait comes out. No, whatever. Um, 
And so, like, Beyonce shows up, and your friends freak out. They're like, oh, my gosh, we had no idea it was going to be Beyonce. It was going to be her. Ah! And then one of them, like, pulls out their phone, and she's like, oh, my gosh, it's Beyonce. I love Beyonce. And they run up to the foot of the stage, and they're like, I love Beyonce, and Beyonce loves me. I love Bay. And they take a picture, and they post it on Instagram, and they write it. And then another one is, like, on Facebook, and they're, like, put it on their Facebook story, and they're like, oh, my gosh, we saw Beyonce. And they take a picture from the back of the room, and they're like, there were 5,003 people here. And then another one is in this new age, and so they bust out Twitter, and they're like, Bay was so cool. Um, I wonder if Jay-Z's backstage. And they just, you know, like, whatever. Now, here's my question. Today, like this morning, if your three friends posted all over social media that they saw Beyonce last night at the Fox Theater, if those were your three friends and this morning you woke up and you read those things, would you doubt that Beyonce was at the Fox Theater last night? No. You'd be like, I had three friends. I know three people that were there, and they wrote about it. That is exactly what happened in Mark chapter 4 and 5. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are just four dudes that walked around and followed Jesus for three years, and then they posted about it. But they didn't have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. They just had letters. Like, they actually put, like, pen on paper. Um, <laughs> anybody ever do that anymore? No. But it was the social media of their day. They were like, yo, Jay did a miracle today. Check it out. And they even, they wrote about it from different perspectives the same way your friends would post about Beyonce from different perspectives. Luke was a doctor, so he was all detail-oriented. So he would be the guy in the back of the room being like, there were 5,003 people here when Jesus taught. And then John, he's the disciple that Jesus loved. He called himself the beloved. So he's the one at the foot of the miracle going, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus, you know. And so right here in Mark chapter 4 and 5, there's a story we're going to read that three out of the four Gospels record. And so if you have a problem with the Bible and you're like, I'm not sure if it's true, just think of it about like three of your friends that just posted about what they saw and they just wrote it down to tell as many people as possible about what they were excited about. You following me on that? Awesome. So let's read their tweets. And some of you are like, what's Instagram? Check it out. It's amazing. Um, it'll ruin your life or be amazing. I don't know. So we're going to start in verse 35, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and to give us some quick context, basically what's going down is Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee on the Jewish side, and he's teaching. In the beginning of Mark chapter 4, it says he was teaching to thousands, so much so that the crowd was pressing in, and it said Jesus hopped in a boat, and he actually pushed out from shore to teach people. Now that's not because the people smelled bad, it's actually because Jesus was a genius, because how many of you know, like, if you go up to Lake Lanier, you can hear people from across the lake sometimes, right? You know what I'm talking about? Because water carries sound waves way better than land. And Jesus, before science ever proved this, you can check it all throughout the New Testament. It says he would slip in a boat and slide out from shore because he wanted to project his voice further so that thousands could hear. How cool is Jesus? He's a genius. And so Jesus is out in the boat, and he's teaching all day. You can check it. Mark chapter 4, I called it the CD chapter, like S-E-E-D-Y, because he teaches like three parables about seed. The parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the kingdom of God being like a seed. This is seed, 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 seed. And he's teaching all day in the hot Israel Middle Eastern sun out on a boat. And this is before sound systems. This is before microphones. So Jesus is doing this on a boat in front of thousands of people. He's like... Like he's just like yelling all day so these people can hear him. And so we get to the end of the day in Mark chapter. Some of you are like, this guy talks fast. I do. And they gave me coffee between services. And they were like, we like an hour-long service here at MLC. And I'm like, praise God for that. But that means I got to fit like into this. So 
because I like the Bible, so we're going to read a lot of it, like 50 verses. Um, <laughs> one person went, yeah, the rest of you are like, really? <laughs> we're more of a one-verse church. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Verse 35, we come to the end of that long day, and it says, On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, talking to the disciples, Let us go across to the other side. Everybody say, the other side. Say, other side. I like it. Got that, that ghetto to it. Other other side. He said, let us go across to the other side. Now, when we read that, we just kind of like slide right over it, right? Just go other side. But when he said this to the disciples, this freaked them out. They were like, run that back. What'd you just say? Because you got to understand the context here. They were on the Sea of Galilee and they were on the Jewish side. But when Jesus said, we're going to the other side, what he said is we're going to the Decapolis. The Decapolis was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and it was one of the most dark pagan cities in the world at the time. The Decapolis, Deca means ten. It was these ten cities all right next to each other. It was a heavy, like, Roman pagan worship, like lots of evil, bad things going on that I won't describe because we have a multi-generational audience right now. But, like, it was, just suffice it to say it was a really evil place. It was where if you were a Roman soldier— and you retired like an officer or a soldier or a general, they would give you land in the Decapolis. So a lot of the population were the men that had conquered and fought against Israel and enslaved them. And so when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, we're going to go to the other side, they're like, we're going to do what? Like, we don't want to go to Devil Town. Like, they don't like us there. And we don't like them. And I just want to stop and point it out this morning. That Jesus has never stopped calling us to the other side. If you follow Jesus for 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 years, you know it won't be long before he calls you to the other side. Now, what does the other side represent? It represents the other side of your comfort zone. They were comfortable on this side of the sea, but not on that side, not on the other side. And I wanted to just stop and, and point that out today that maybe for some of us, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to you today. I want you to go to the other side. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. Growth never happens in your comfort zone. It's always outside of it. And so maybe he's calling you to the other side of the world. And you're like, what? Maybe he's calling you to the other side of the country, the state. Maybe the other side of the city. Maybe the other side of your community. Maybe it's just the other side of the office. Maybe, for some of you, it's just the other side of the living room. Because there's been so much tension, so much friction, it's so uncomfortable to have that conversation with that family member, with that employee, with that teammate. But that's exactly where God is calling you. And, and it's uncomfortable, and a lot of times you know you're supposed to go there if you feel uncomfortable. And so Jesus looks at the disciples, and much like when I just said that, some of you were like, I don't want to go to the other side of the living room. Like in the first service when I said, maybe Jesus is calling you to the other side of the living room, this lady looked at her husband like this. they were here today but maybe just stop and ask God what's that other side you're calling me to maybe it's the other side of the office because talk to that person in that cubicle maybe it's that teammate I can't stand that fellow student how, how do you want me to reach them where do you want me to go and so he says we're going to go to the other side and leaving the crowd they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. 
And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, just pause. So many things to preach on there, but y'all are an hour-long service. So I'm just going to touch, touch, touch real quick. One, it says other boats were with them. Why is that significant? Because if you know the story, Jesus is about to work a miracle, right? Jesus is about to calm the storm. Supernatural stuff about to go down. But here's the deal. Jesus was in the boat. Because Jesus was in the boat, even amidst the storm, there could be a miracle. So my first question for us today is who's in your boat? Who's your crew? Like, it's an old leadership principle, but it's so profound and true. You show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you your future. I mean, there was a study just done in North America that came out and said that your income will be the median of your ten closest friends. Some of you are like, I need some richer friends. (laughs) But it's true, though. Why? Because you kind of glean wisdom from whoever you're around. So if you're around very business savvy, very wealthy friends, like you're more than likely going to glean wisdom from them and your standard of living is going to go. It's just a profound, like awesomely true principle. But many of us today aren't seeing God's miracle in our lives because we're sailing with the wrong crew. I would just stop and ask all of us to evaluate who's in your crew and is Jesus in your boat. But here's the other side of that too. Jesus worked a miracle for his boat, but there were other boats sailing with them. And guess what? The storm was calmed for them too. Why does that matter? Because if Jesus is in one boat, every boat around that boat gets blessed. What does that say to us? When Jesus works in the boat that is MLC Dawson, when he works miracle in the marriages, miracles in the marriages, miracles in the families, miracles in this church, when the water level rises here in this campus, in this church, this entire community should get blessed because this church is getting blessed. When the water level rises here, it does for everyone around us. And I guarantee you this, if you're in one of those other boats and you think you're going to die, and all of a sudden a dude steps to the bow of one boat and says, stop, and it stops. You're going, stick with that boat. <laughs> like paddle, wherever they go, just, you know, like, like follow them. And that's the way MLC should be for this community. What God does in here should just echo outside these walls to where the people around go, we don't know who's in that boat, but we're going with them. Wherever they say go, we're going. We want to get in that boat. And so it says that Jesus works He's about to work a miracle. And side note, I love that it says he was asleep on the cushion in the stern. For two reasons, like a lot of preachers and stuff will try and get all symbolic. Like Jesus was sleeping because blah, 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 blah. I think he was sleeping because he was tired. It was a long day in the hot Middle Eastern sun, you know, screaming at a crowd. Dude's exhausted. And so he's asleep. But I also love that he's taking a nap. Do I have any nappers in the house? Anybody like to take naps? I love it. It's like Jesus gives you permission here, you know. Next time you want to take a nap and somebody gives you a hard time, just be like WWJD. Like, what would Jesus do? He'd take a nap. That's what he would do. And so he's asleep, and they come, and they go, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Don't you care? You don't care about us, Jesus. Oh, I love this. Do I have any parents in the house? Any parents? Like, you ever heard this from your kids? You know what I mean? They're like, they ask you for something, and then you say no, and they're like, you don't care about me. You don't, you don't even care. And you ever just want to be like, I don't care. Like, you know we made you. Like, you know when you couldn't walk or talk or eat, we did all that for you. You know that room I'm about to send you to, I pay for? Like, I don't care. Get out of my face. You know, it's like, like I feel like like spouses, like couples in the house, you know, when like your significant other looks at you and you're like, you don't care about me. And you're just like, right? Because you're like, what do you mean? Like, I've been with you for years. Like, 
I feel like Jesus here is it's like that. How do we know that? Because he doesn't even respond to him. He's like, don't you care? And it, he, he says nothing. I can just imagine he gets up and stares at him, and he's like, just move. You know, like just go to the, and he goes to the bow of the boat, and what does it say? He says he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, peace. Be still. Now, I, I purposely did that because in my Bible, it is on the next page. But I remember I was, I was reading this for the first time. It struck me that we don't know the amount of time that was in between those two statements. He said, peace, be still. And why is that significant? Because he sent peace into the people before he calmed the storm. He can bring peace while the storm is still raging. Peace can come before the storm stops. That, that is the beauty of following Jesus. It says he gives us, grants us a peace that surpasses understanding. There is something about walking with Jesus that it doesn't matter the storm you're going through. You can have peace before the storm ever stops. That's one of the most like, remarkable indicators that somebody knows God. Is they can be going through the worst storm of their lives and people around them are going, how do you have peace right now? He goes, because I got Jesus in my boat. And, but I love this. The end of chapter 4 he says, peace be still, and then Jesus looks at him and says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, that seems kind of harsh, right? These are experienced fishermen. Like these guys, like three of the disciples, this is what they did for a living. They knew sailing. And so this was such a bad storm that these guys that grew up on the water thought they were going to die. And what did they do? They ran to Jesus. Like some of us would be like, check, you know, go to Jesus. You did the right things, guys. But Jesus looks back at him and says, what's the deal, guys? Like he's disappointed in him. He's like, why were you afraid? Now, now, what is he saying there? What he's saying is, didn't I say we were going to the other side? And if I said it, you better bank on it. If I said it, it doesn't matter the storm that you're facing. We are going to make it to the other side if I said we're going to the other side. He wasn't mad that they were scared of the storm. He was mad that they doubted that they were going to make it to the other side. And I just wanted to encourage somebody today that if God has called you to something, if God called you into that marriage, if God called you to that career, if God said you need to face this, if he called you to it, he'll see you through it. He will bring you to the other side. Just keep Jesus in your boat. Thank you. I appreciate you. That's my fiance, by the way. That's right. When no one else claps, I appreciate you. Um, and what I love here, too, is Jesus was the one that sent them right into the storm. Did you catch that? Like he was the, it was his plan to go to the other side. And we know that Jesus is the three O's, omniscient, omniscient omnipotent, and omnipresent. One of those meaning he is all-knowing. So Jesus being all-knowing sent them directly into the storm. And why, why is that significant? Just because you're going through a storm doesn't mean you're going in the wrong direction. Just because you're in the middle of a storm and it feels like you're going to die, you can't make it, or it's, it doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. You may actually, that may be the indicator that you're going exactly where God wants you to go. And I just say that because sometimes Christians, we're like fair weather sailors, you know. Like God's like, go talk to that person. Go reach that community. Go give that amount outside of what you could imagine. Like, be generous. And then all of a sudden we get an unexpected bill and we're like, well, that definitely wasn't God. Like, I don't have no bump, you know, because this, this is tough, you know. Or, man, I'm going to go here and then oh, I got a red light. Guess I wasn't supposed to talk to them, you know. <laughs> Red's the devil. And we just, like, 
whatever it is, we face obstacles and we act like it's not where God wants us to go. But, but I would just say, read the book. Oftentimes when Jesus calls people places, the worst storms pop up because he wants you to rely on him. He wants you to keep him in your boat. And then we get to the rest of the story, what I think is one of the greatest stories never told in the Bible. Mark chapter 5. Now, when Mark wrote this, there were no chapters. Mark didn't go, chapter 4, you know, and then put verses in. We added the chapters and the verse numbers later. So when Mark wrote this, this was one fluid story. He wrote this all as a, a great narrative that all worked together. And so it says, he kind of rebukes them. And he says, you know, why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That had to be a freaky moment. You know what I mean? Like up until this point, they had seen Jesus heal some people, but all of a sudden dude stepped on the bow of the boat and he literally told the storm to stop and it did. Like if you're there, you're just like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, don't make him mad, right? And then chapter five, verse one. And then they came to the other side. Everybody say other side. Now, we've all kind of embarked on journeys, whether it be a relationship, a business endeavor, a class we're taking. Like we've all said, okay, God, I see where you're taking me. I want to go. Maybe, maybe you're just embarking on a journey. You're trying to get to the other side. But I want to stop and ask the question, what happens when we get to the other side? What happens when we get the ring? What happens when we get the diploma? What happens when we finally get the raise, when we get the promotion, when we get the job, when we get that relationship? Like, what happens when we make it to the other side? Y'all going to love this. And then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the garrisons, old devil town. Verse 2. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, everybody say immediately. <laughs> I love it. Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran at him. Okay, like again, this is a story that we just kind of read real quick, but let's personify it. Imagine you're one of the disciples, okay, and you literally step on the shore. You know, you make it to the other side. Here we are, made it through the storm. And your welcoming committee is psycho-suicidal Sam, right? Like the book of Luke says he was naked and, 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 and he's covered in dried blood because he's a cutter and he's suicidal and he's depressed and he's like superhuman strength. He can break, so you have like supervillain psycho-suicidal Sam running at you naked, like picture, don't picture that, but like and so, like, imagine you're the disciples. Like, you get there, and then the, the first thing that happens, immediately, you go from bad to worse. Like, I'm there, and you're like, oh, this is how Jesus dies. Goodbye, Messiah, right? It's all over. Like, this is what happens when you go to devil town. And so they get there, and what I, what I love is, like, the disciples probably took a step back. I call him Sam when psycho-suicidal Sam ran at him. The disciples probably were like, whoa. But when the world takes a step back, that's exactly when Jesus takes a step forward. And, 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 and Jesus steps up and it says, Sam ran, and it says he, he fell at Jesus' feet. He fell at his feet. And if you read all of chapter 5, I would encourage you to do it. Some homework for you that will change your life. Mark chapter 5, there's this um, pattern that you see. It's, it's a pattern of posture. 
and, and Sam falls at Jesus' feet, and then Jesus meets a guy named Jairus who wants him to heal his daughter. And the first thing Jairus does is fall at Jesus' feet, and then on the way to Jairus' daughter's house, um, there's a woman with an issue of blood, and she runs up and falls at Jesus' feet. There's this pattern of posture of people falling at Jesus' feet. And what I love is they all three see the power of God move because they took the right posture. There is power in posture, and many of us have not seen God's power move in our lives because we haven't taken the right posture. We haven't bowed down before him and said, I can't do it, you can. And even though this isn't popular today to get on your knees because we're a very prideful population, what would happen if we took the right posture and literally bowed before him? And here's Sam and he runs and he bows. And then it gets intense because here's a man with literally every setback you can think of. Like this dude has financial setbacks, like he's broke. (laughs) I mean, he has no clothes, you know. He ain't got nothing. He has spiritual setbacks. He's demon-possessed. He has emotional setbacks. It says he was depressed and crying every night. He has physical setbacks. I mean, he was cutting. He's covered and drenched in blood. He has relational setbacks. His family has left him. He has no friends left. He has societal setbacks. Like, literally, the society he lived in said, we wish you were dead, so much so that they chained him to the tombs. Like, this guy had every setback possible. And what I love is he runs up to Jesus, and then it gets real deep. Because it says, kind of like the demons inside of him cry out. Oh, this is insane. It says, they begged him earnestly. He said, what's your name? And they said, our name is Legion. And then in verse 7, they said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. Why is that significant? The first thing they say is they recognize who Jesus was. Jesus hadn't said who he was. This is his first time here. And whatever was inside of Psycho Sam recognized you're the son of the most high God. But what did they say? They said, don't torment us. I just want to stop and ask, what kind of Jesus do you know? What, what Jesus do you pray to? Like a lot of us are very comfortable with like baby Jesus, you know, like Talladega Nights, like nine pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. Like I'm, I'm good with that Jesus because he's manageable. He's all cute and humble. A lot of us are cool with like Jesus on a cross, you know, sacrificial he forgave my sins. Yeah, Jesus. And, and both of those are accurate portrayals of Jesus' character and divinity. He's humble. He's forgiving. He's sacrificial. But they knew a Jesus that I think a lot of us don't know. They knew Jesus in his real form. The book of Revelation, John writes that he sees Jesus in his real form. And Jesus in his real form is a warrior on a white horse with eyes like fire and a flaming sword coming out of his mouth and his robe dipped in the blood of his enemies and a tattoo on his thigh nobody can read, coming back to roll hard over anybody that stands against him. That's the Jesus they knew. They knew the Jesus that when they crossed him, he banished them not to destruction, but rather to torment. They knew the all-powerful creator of the universe, the king, and they said, Jesus, Please don't torment us. Why is that significant? Because whatever is tormenting you, Jesus can torment that. I don't care if it's debt, depression. I don't care if it's a health issue. Whatever it is that is tormenting us, it bows to Jesus. Please don't torment me. And I love that Jesus basically has a conversation with this power that's in him. What's your name? They say legion. Legion means 6,000 soldiers. So it suffices to say there was a lot of bad stuff going on in this guy. They beg him, please don't kill us. Please don't send us out of the region. Send us into some pigs. Jesus says, fine. Gives them permission to go into the pigs. And then the pigs run off a cliff. 2,000 pigs die. Imagine if you're the pig herders. Like, well, I'm getting fired, right? (laughs) Lost all the pigs. 
And they freak out. I mean, it's just this crazy story. And then the pig herders run into town. They tell everybody, and everybody comes out. And I love it. It says in verse, let's go to verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. So some of the town came out and were like, whoa, Psycho Sam is normal. You know, like, what happened? And it said he was clothed. Pause. Question. Where do you get the clothes? <laughs> you ever stop and think that? Like it says he was, he was clothed. Luke says he was in a tunic. Now, if you read a little bit previous to this story, Jesus had actually just done a teaching where he said, hey, if you meet someone with no tunic and you have two, give him one. Give him one of yours. Now, if you don't know, a tunic was like their version of underwear. You know, it's like, so he basically said, if you see someone naked and you have two sets of drawers, give him one. That's what he's saying. Now, if you're the disciples and you hear that, you're like, when are we going to meet a naked dude? You know? And then all of a sudden, Sam gets healed, and they're like, this is our chance. Get the tunic. You know, like we have an extra. But that principle lasts to today. If you have two, someone has none, give them one. Whatever it is. If you have two, they have none, give them one. I mean, ladies, you got 40 pairs of shoes, somebody got none, give them 39. Like you only need one. But it, it can be as small as I got two sandwiches, they don't have any at lunch, give them one. It can be as big, I know a guy in your church family here that in his early 20s had a dream of giving away a car. And so he and his wife at that time, newlyweds, were broke, and they had two cars, old school Honda City. I mean, nothing fancy. They were working in ministry, and they saved and saved and saved. And instead of trading in one of their cars, they saved two years longer so that they could buy the new car, and then they blessed the single mom with the other one. If you have two and someone has none, just give them one. And it's just this act of generosity. And so they finally got a chance to do that. And he's there in his right mind. And uh, you can play and make it sound spiritual now. No, I'm kidding. Um, now, this guy was right on cue this time. Thank you so much. You know the pastor's ending if you hear the keys. Unless it's a charismatic church. Then he's got another hour. But we'll land the plane here. He said he healed the man. And this is so interesting to me. Verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might come with him. Begged him. Jesus, let me follow you. But check it, verse 19. And he did not, Jesus did not permit the man to go with him. He said, no. Now why is that like significant? Because up until this point, Jesus' entire message was, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, right? That's all he said to everyone, follow me, follow me. Now here comes a man that was saved amazingly, like just the miracle that just happened. And he says, Jesus, you changed my life. I want to go with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no. It begs the question, what do you do when God doesn't behave? Or at least he doesn't behave the way you think he should. Let me say it a different way. When we come to Jesus, a lot of us have had a picture of what it's supposed to look like. Like I say yes to God, I get the Ferrari. I get the hot wife, you know. Me and my wife will never have an argument again because we love Jesus, right? But what I love is like God's plan and our plan are usually drastically different. And here he has in mind, I, I want to follow Jesus, and Jesus has a different plan in mind. But I want to encourage somebody, if it doesn't look the way you thought it was, I guarantee you Jesus' plan is better than yours. And here Jesus says, no, go home to your friends and tell them your story of how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis 
how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The, the reason I think this is one of the greatest stories never told, the rest of the story, what we don't know here, is in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus comes back to the Decapolis. So here, it says the people begged Jesus to leave. They made him uncomfortable, which is weird. We don't have time to get into that. So Jesus leaves. But in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus comes back, and when he comes back, it says thousands come to meet him, and he heals thousands. Question, how would thousands in this pagan city know the healing power of Jesus? Because Psycho Sam was saved and went and told everybody his story. And why is that profound? Because if you read the scriptures, this may be the first commissioned preacher. Before Jesus commissioned the 12 disciples to go and make disciples and go and tell the world their story, he told a suicidal, demon-possessed, depressed cutter, you think you're too messed up to be used by God? The first preacher that was commissioned was Sam. Like, that's just encouraging to me. And here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. Sam didn't go to seminary. Sam didn't even have a Bible. He didn't even have a small group or a church home. All he had was his story. I met a guy named Jesus, and I was really messed up. And then I met him, and he changed my life. You gotta meet him. That's all he had. And thousands were healed, and a city was changed because he wasn't ashamed to just tell his story. Some of us in here today, we feel like we're ill-equipped or we were too messed up or we don't have enough training. I wanted to tell you today that all you have to do is what's on that wall out there. I once was this, then I met Jesus, now I'm this. This is my story and it's the greatest story that is now gonna be told. And you wanna see a church fill up, not one time, but two times, but three times, but five times? You wanna see this back auditorium turn into thousands of seats where people come to know Jesus? All you gotta do is walk outside that door and just tell people your story. Man, I was jacked and I'm still not perfect. Lord, you know. But I met, but I met a Jesus that is. And just come meet him. Just come meet him. Just share your story. And what I love about this, and I'll end it with here, is society kind of took a guy that was so messed up, had so many setbacks, and they kind of took out their, their Sharpie, their permanent marker, and said, you're too messed up. That part of your life, that thing that happened, that thing you did, it's too bad. It's unredeemable, too far gone. But when the world pulls out their Sharpie, I think that's exactly when God pulls out his highlighter. And he says, that person that you think's too messed up, that's exactly who I'm gonna use. That, that part of your life, that part of your marriage that you're ashamed of, that you wish never would have happened, that thing that happened to you, that thing you did that you think you can't ever tell anybody, that thing that you've marked permanently, God is pulling out his highlighter today and he's saying, hey, that part of your story, that's exactly what I'm going to highlight and that's what I'm going to use and that's what's going to help people come to know me. Let God pull out his highlighter and just highlight you today. Some of you, you may be Sam today. You may feel like you've had too many setbacks and you just realize Jesus can make it happen. You just got to run and follow his story. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your story. God, thank you for what you're doing in the greater story of Mountain Lake Church of MLC. Thank you for all the life change and the more life change and the more life change we're seeing. 
God, thank you that we're right in the middle of a huge God story. And God, right now, I just pray over anybody that feels like spam today. They just feel like they're too messed up. I pray that today would be the day that they run to you, Jesus, that they fall at your feet and they say, hey, change me. And God, I pray that you would just embolden all of us, that you would help us to have the courage to walk out of here. And even though we don't have all the answers, that we would have the faith to just share our story and watch how you change people's lives and change a city. God, we thank you for what you're doing today, and we pray that you would keep it going. In your name we pray, amen.